Well, uh, rather short sermon today. All right, now let's don't break out into applause, but uh, we'll, we'll not be long up here today. But you all, you have to be careful. Like one of the most uh, meaningless gestures, if, if, you, if you're ever watching a preacher and they do this, right? They take off their watch and then they put it on the pulpit. That means nothing. It's just, I don't know, pre- it just, preachers started doing that. I don't know, Spurgeon did it years ago. I don't know, but it means nothing. So I don't know, you know why I said that, but I just thought I'd say that. Psalm 45 is about beauty. It's about someone who is probably who uh, is a court scribe. And they have been during a period of Israel's history, and they are longing for that one promise to one of David's sons to pull the nation together. And it's a psalm where someone is seeing someone else, a king, and they're saying, this is the one. This is it. And the psalm kind of morphs into not only praise for the king, but the king's also a groom, and there's a bride who shows up. So it's a lot of things going on in the psalm. In a stack of stuff uh, in my office, I was cleaning um, my office uh, a while ago, and I found kind of a a half sheet of paper that I had written out something of a book that I was reading from, and I think it was the Valley of Vision, the collection of Puritan prayers. But it's a short little phrase, and it went like this. In my own handwriting, it said, Take the dimness of my soul away. And our series is about the dimness of, the, of our soul, that to see Jesus more clearly, to see him as beautiful as we can, to make him uh, enhanced by our worship and, and our songs and our prayer and all that we do as a church, uh, to make him beautiful is actually what will help the dimness of our soul. And so you have verse 1 and 2, really worth looking at. Um, my heart overflows. Look at verse 1. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. Eugene Peterson, uh, author, theologian, has written uh, his own uh, translation of the Bible. It's called The Message, somewhat kind of like a paraphrase. Very, very clever and uh, very insightful. And he, he translates verse 1 like this. So we have the English Standard Version. And now this is Eugene Peterson. He writes this. My heart bursts its banks, spilling beauty and goodness. I pour it out in a poem to the king, shaping the river into words. So Eugene Peterson grabs the whole idea that the heart is, a, is like a, an active river, and the river is so full, it's swelling, and now it has burst the banks. And what is being, uh, what is being communicated, it is spilling forth beauty and goodness. It, is, it, it can't be contained. Uh, this past week, I was actually at a, at a restaurant, and I was pausing at the counter, and I was sort of staring down... <laughs> and staring at the trash can. And I noticed something about the trash can. It had a beautiful symmetry to it. And it was, a, as trash cans go, it was a pretty one. And you think, boy, this is a very strange man who observes, looks at trash cans. But if you made trash cans for a living, how would you make them? Wouldn't you make them pretty? 
Wouldn't you make them as if you could uh, put some, something beautiful and make them nice? In fact, there are nice trash cans, right? You don't want one of these industrial things in your, in your kitchen. You want a, somewhat a nice one. Or that, The reason I bring that up is that we are helplessly pursuing beauty, even in the design of a trash can. It has a symmetry. The opposite of symmetry is asymmetry. So you look at a piece of artwork, and uh, let's say it's, a, it's an orange tree, and on one side are 55 oranges, on the other side are two oranges. And you'd say, wait a minute, this is kind of a strange tree. We, we love symmetry, order, beauty. Um, maybe it's in rhetoric, it's in preaching, there's a beauty to it, there's an organization to it. Aesthetics, logic, reason, architecture, clothing, churches, sanctuaries. In fact, uh, the subject of beauty is unending. It continues on and on. In fact, when we talk about beauty and when someone has a, a connected with beauty and they've discovered beauty, something happens within us. The banks of our hearts spill over. And one of the questions I have is really, is it really possible? Is it really possible that our hearts could spill over like Psalm 45 is spilling over? Can people who are maybe naturally introverted, uh, people who just are more reserved, can, they, can beauty really impact them? Can, can, you, can we change? Can, can transformation happen because we're seeing Jesus? Jesus taught us that we're actually supposed to look at the whole of the Bible, the whole of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, when, when he taught his disciples on the other side of his resurrection. He said this whole book... This whole Old Testament, all these strange, unusual stories are all about me. And beginning with the law and the prophets and the Psalms, Luke 24 tells us that he began to instruct them concerning the things about himself in all the scriptures. So we're chasing down beauty. Today in Florence, I'm sure it is a cold, rainy day. And people will wait outside in the museum where Michelangelo's Famous David is kept. They will wait in that cold rain until the door opens and they're allowed in. And they want to see that beauty and they want to see that sculpture and that, that sculpture and they want to be around it. And watch what happens when people are around something beautiful. They talk. They, it, it overwhelms them. And uh, we have been made for, for beauty Psalm, Psalm 45 is filled with all kinds of details. And the first point I want to make rather quickly here is, is rather somewhat obvious. But Psalm 45, when you discover the beauty, you really get caught up and you notice the details. Um, this individual who is first, uh, who's being looked at here in, with, uh, with great esteem, verse 2, his lips are gracious, the words he says. His purposes are majestic. In verse 4, he rides out victorious for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Um, even down to the, uh, his arrows, the tips are sharp. He's ready for war. He has a sword. He has a throne. He's after righteousness. And it goes on and on and on. He's been anointed. And, and the, um, the superlatives, the, the accolades go on and on. In fact, uh, you can even notice the details of, of the sights and sounds and smells. Uh, e- even his, his robes smell good. <laughs> so that when you discover, discover beauty, 
you're chasing down details, and the, it seems as if the more details there are, the more delightful the beauty is. Secondly, I'd like you just to know that when we discover beauty, uh, it really continues to be a source of delight. In fact, the entire New Testament could be described as a discovery of beauty. The, the New Testament is a collection of beautiful insights about the beautiful one. Uh, he is at the core of what he does is he does what no one would expect. He is not self-preserving. He does something which is rather reckless. He doesn't care as a hero about his own life. And you remember in that great movie you saw and you realized that something tragic is going to happen to the hero that you love and you realize they are going to suffer and maybe for the sake of the, the greater picture, the plot of the movie, they have to die. And it's hard to admit in that moment in the movie that that's actually, that's actually the way it ought to go. That's really the way the movie should, should end. And it's a beautiful kind of pain, but it was better that the movie was like that way. Well, as you are watching this hero in Psalm 45, you realize that he is willing to do whatever it is take, takes to reign well. He is a king and he cares about his people. And the full story, the full story of what happens to this king is not described in Psalm 45. The full story is described in the New Testament with Jesus taking upon us uh, our sins and dying for us. So, Beauty discovered continues to be a source of delight, and that's what we do in the New Testament. We are studying him. We are learning, sitting at his feet, and we, um, we are seeing his beauty even in the midst of troubled circumstances, a troubled world. And the book of Hebrews presents this to us, that Jesus made purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, uh, that's chapter 1. And then chapter 2 of Hebrews gives us this insight that nothing is, uh, is outside of his control. Everything's been made subject to this, this king. But we don't see, this is Hebrews 2.8, we don't see everything subject to him now. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, this is Hebrews 2.9, 2, crowned we see him crowned with glory and honor. In the midst of this troubling world, this world of uh, darkness and hardship, we as the church see him crowned with glory and honor. That is the spiritual perception that you have right now. You see him crowned. And, and, and now we're, we're, we're pursuing more and more of the details of what does it mean that Jesus really is king what is it like that he really is ruling? I can't quite see his rule going on around me, but I know it's true. His death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, I know these things are real, and God, by his Holy Spirit, is working in us more and more understanding of his beauty, and that beauty has its effect upon us. We can see him majestically riding out victoriously for a cause, and it's really frustrating when uh, 
people promise something and they don't come through. Politicians promise something and they don't come through. When we want order, we want goodness for our country and our nation. We want righteousness to reign, and it's very, very frustrating. But we as a church gather Sunday after Sunday, and we are bolstered in our vision of the beautiful, beautiful one. We are chasing down beauty, whether you are a Christian or not. You, are, you want to be enveloped in beauty. You want to be uh, consumed by it. And there's a great sorrow when people have pursued beautiful things as ends in themselves. They can't deliver. No skill can come through for you. No accomplishment in your career um, no marriage, no children, no, nothing that you would perceive that would be just uh, something that would come through for you. It's not going to work ultimately in the end. And uh, then finally, beauty discovered taps into eternity. Beauty discovered taps into eternity. Uh, and just verse 17 of, of uh, Psalm 45 The writer says, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. So the the one who wrote this psalm is aware that the beauty they see in this king, who's also a groom, the beauty they see should be experienced by others forever and ever and ever. This is the one. This is the source behind all beauty. And because he is the source, he should be a continual source of wonder and beauty for everyone. And of course, uh, we have been made to be surrounded by beauty all the time. Uh, It's very difficult to go and see an art museum without going into the place where they sell replicas and saying, I want that picture framed and in my house. And it's not enough just to have one picture. You want multiple pictures surrounding yourself with beauty. Of course, we now, as the church, are pursuing, uh, pursuing this beautiful person in our worship. And we want to experience this forever. And God taps into that longing and says, that's why my son came and experienced death, that you would experience his beauty forever and ever. And Revelation 19.6 wraps it up this way. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying, and what are they crying and singing about in the book of Revelation? Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself Ready. The culmination of world history is, is a wedding. And uh, if you're a believer, you have already been invited to that marriage supper. There is probably nothing more uh, glorious and harmonious and l- lovely and beautiful than a, a wedding, uh, more hopeful and more peaceful than the meal that follows a wedding or accompanies a wedding because it is so packed with joy and your mind is filled with the beauty of the event that you have just seen. So, um, my exhortation to you is 
continue on. Continue on proclaiming the beauty of our hero, of the one who is the center of the Bible. Proclaim his death until he comes again. And this is why we celebrate his, his beauty, his deep, deep, soul-chasing beauty that comes after us and seeks to envelop us. My heart bursts its banks, spilling beauty and goodness. I pour it out in a poem to the king, shaping the river into words. May our lives be like a river shaped into words. Let's pray.